Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Evander Kane, two goals. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, two goals. The Edmonton Oilers, a win away from the Western Conference Final. Burp puke. 5-3. At Rogers Place last night. Uh, Calgary Flames get down early 3-0, fight all the way back. They get a gift from Mike Smith. But the uh, the Oilers get the winner with three and a half to go. And uh, now the Flames need to be very good at staving. First opportunity for staves tomorrow night at the Dome. A 7.30 start Thursday evening. Corey Sarge, former Flames defenseman. Is uh, is here? We I joked with you last round. I haven't seen. Have we seen much of you this round? Uh, last round, <laughs> hmm. low scoring, low event, goaltending clinics. The whole th- you were on cloud nine. You of the defense first, tight to the vest. Let's 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 gut out some low scoring tight hockey. That has not been this series really at all. There have been stretches, I guess, when you go back to game one. Once it was tied at 6-6, and then last night for a while, once the Flames got things to within one, and then they tied it, it was somewhat in doubt. But certainly game three was a runaway. And game two, obviously you're up 2 nothing, and then you, then you lose. So it was tight there at some point. But this has not been a clinic of defensive hockey. Certainly on the Flames side. We'll talk about the Oilers in a minute. But we're now four games in. Give me your your impressions on what you've seen of this Flames team, who are now up against it. Ah, it's been a little bit loose, definitely. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's on brand, Corey. Got to yeah. say, I I don't know. It's it just has such a different feeling than last series, and I don't know. As a Flames fan, it's easy to say now, but which do you prefer? Like everyone wants the high flying, high scoring. All that kind of stuff, but even last in last night's game, it's the small details that get the job done that that people tend to overlook. And the Flames were so spot on in those details in the first series, and now they've they've kind of abandoned some of their some of their strategy throughout the year and some of their foundation and gameplay. But again, listen, you guys talk about it here the last last little bit. It's it's a much more difficult task this round. Like you've got completely different offensive power on the other side of the not close to Dallas. Like, like it's yeah. nothing. Like Sagan Ben, shadow of what they were offensively. You got two guys in their prime, Drysidle McDavid, and now you got this other guy that seems to be finding another gear in the playoffs, causing some fits, Evander Kane. Can't stand watching him. Play. Yeah, I know you can't. Uh, Good player. Good player. Now, obviously, that's uh, the point is very valid, and it's obvious that the Oilers present much more of a offensive challenge. But it's it. But it's still beyond that. I I still don't think that the Flames are playing nearly as well as they did last round defensively. Obviously, Markstrom. That's I, I don't know what you say about it, and we'll talk about it. But even from a defense standpoint. 
you lose Tanev, and it feels like it's too simplistic to just say, "Well, without their top guy, what are you what are you going to do?" It, but minutes and responsibilities, it all changes. You, you've now got a lot of Zadorov and Goodbranson and Stone, who that's spotting that's bottom pair guys on a lot of teams. And to be fair, or extra guys, Shillington away from Tanev is another one of those guys. He's been a top four guy when Tanev's been there. When Tanev's not there, I don't think he's a top four guy. That's another guy playing more than you want when Tanev's out, right? Yeah, and it all all comes to the forefront with those extra minutes. Like a guy like Zadorov, they had to they sat him for a reason at the start of the year, and they made life miserable for him at the start of the year to get a point across. You're going to have to defend one way, and it's Daryl's way. And now with all these added minutes, you just you see some of the bad habits from the start of the year creeping in. And that just might be a fact of that extra ice time, right? Like if a guy is generally used to playing 15 to 18 minutes and being able to focus for those 15 to 18 minutes, and all of a sudden you're thrown out there and you're getting upwards of 20 and over 20 and the responsibilities up, you, you hope that over the course of a season, the growth has been enough and he hasn't been, he hasn't been terrible. But there's just small little things like if we if you want to really break it down last night, you look at the third goal. He he's caught trying to get up ice. Well, now that's definitely not happening because the puck's not coming out of their zone. Now he's overplaying a man that's already covered and it leaves Kane wide open in the slot. Then he dives back to try to fix the problem and the puck ends up in the in the flames net. And it's a small little detail, but maybe that's just a fact. Part of being out there, you know, more than he's used to. And so I, I feel like that's maybe all of the Flames defense. I mean, Stone doesn't change too much from game to game. You kind of get the same effort, but I feel like we hardly saw him last night, especially with seven defensemen. Well, again. yeah, that's the thing. There was 70. He played just over five minutes. That's five the smallest two. he's like, played all postseason. He was playing 10-11 in Dallas when he was the seventh D. 23 minutes, 26 seconds for Noah Hannafin. Shillington, 19-26. Anderson, just over 20. Tanev, 19-24. Coming back in. Zadorov, 14 and a half. So I guess we can't use the minutes on Zadorov. <laughs> Having too many last night. That shouldn't have been the case. I think it was... I, I, we talk about the series, I think it makes sense. I don't know that that was last night's story. No, the... But it's we're we're seeing a lot of things, if not exposed, but certainly contrary to what we saw through the regular season and even last series. I would guess if you go back, rewind the tape, what would we be talking about coming into an Edmonton series? And it would be stay out of the box and play this thing five on five. Mm-hmm. And they've been outscored five on five. They've been outscored four on four, not on but Special teams, they've, they've actually got more power play goals. I believe that's still the case. Yeah, they went one each last night. Yeah. That keeps the Flames one ahead. Then the Oilers. You would have taken the goaltending battle in a heartbeat, Smith against Markstrom, and you're losing that one. And defensively, what are you seeing on the Edmonton side? Because guys like Kulak and CC and they've been just fine, frankly. And is that on the Flames not testing them enough, or, or have they elevated their game? Yeah, they like last night was almost it was almost the opposite of each other in what you'd expect in this series. When the puck was in Edmonton's zone, you saw a lot of four guys in the in the picture and five guys like in coverage. 
and they did a really great job of limiting the Flames' chances in the slot. Like, they did not give the Flames that much, and how many pucks missed miss Smith last night? Like, they didn't even get to the net because the Flames were forced to shoot wide because of the Edmonton coverage. And that's what we saw and expected from our, our Flames all year long. And the other thing you talk about, like you mentioned those names, CC Kulak, when you have nights like last night where you don't notice those guys on an individual level because there aren't the glaring mistakes because they are obviously Edmonton defended really well as a, as a unit last mm-hmm. night, forwards and defense included. So you don't have those mistakes. Whereas like here I am picking, I'm, I'm picking on Zadorov, Shillington on the last goal, maybe Tanev, you know, he's not himself with his shoulder, not strong enough to pick up on a goal. When you have those little individual things that are easy to focus on, it generally means that there's mistakes being made, coverage is being missed. And to the Oilers' credit, there was like there was really not a lot there last night. And that's a Flames calling card too, right? Daryl would talk about that. Defense is not just the two guys and your goalie. It's the five-man unit, mm-hmm. up and down the ice. And, and the Oilers have been, they've addressed it. And whether it's Woodcroft since he's come in or whatever the case is, they have been... They've been much better, and that record that the team had, Smith's numbers went up, their goals against went way down. Their record was terrific down the stretch. Really good. And it's it's easier to defend when with a lead, right? You get up one or two. It's a lot easier to try to lock it down, simplify your game. You're not worrying about having to get up the ice from a defensive standpoint. Even forwards, you know, you can dedicate yourself a little bit more to your end. You're not having to cheat thinking, like, I got to get up there and score a goal which has played into Edmonton's favor as well because they've been up a good chunk of this series, more than the Flames. So, like, all the, all those little little things. And, and, God, just, like, the start to that game last night, that's, that's tough because like, you, you want the Flames to get out. You want them to get the first goal and establish their game. And then maybe it's complete role reversal, but it went the way it did. And, and they were poised to just watching now how the game went the crowd was despite going up one two three the the crowd really i thought was not as much of a factor as it was in game three i thought it was more subdued maybe it's because they thought they were home and cool and they were cruising to a win but i thought that the flames it it took almost a whole period they were outshot three to one in like whatever it was 21 to seven or whatever in the first period in game number three they actually led in, in in shots on goal, and I thought they were playing better. It was not the twister, the the hornet's nest that you saw in Game Three, and and Sutter talked about it. I'll uh, I'll get you the clip because they were given ground after twenty, right? It was just the, the it was getting more tense, and and the fears of the fans were being realized as that game went on. It was kind of like Game Two in Calgary, exciting start, and then you're watching it slide away slowly. That's what the Oilers fans are watching, and that hence the huge eruption when they finally score one not in the opener that stands as the winner. Here's Sutter talking about obviously the early goal, not a great one, but still didn't mind the start. Oddly enough, I thought we showed a lot of resolve or resilience. You know, they score that empty net first minute of the game. I thought we had a really good first period, and that's what I told them after the first. Was, it's a winnable game for us, for sure tonight, and we damn near did. Yeah, 13-9 shots for the Flames in that first period. Three on three on nine. It's, it's a nice luxury for the Oilers, and I, who knows if they play differently, if it's 0-3, if it's tied at one, if it's scoreless, but... There's so much there's so much not there for the Flames right now. 
I said to Ryan earlier, if, you're, if your goal scoring has kind of hit the skids, you rely on your defensive play and your goaltender, we're going to have to win some, maybe get some power play goals we're going to have to kind of knuckle through here. If your goaltending goal is spotty, but your, your offense, your top line is firing, we don't want to do it, but maybe we can outscore the other team. And right now you're giving up too much. You're not scoring enough. I was looking at just the goals needed to win games one through four. You needed seven, six, five, and five. D. That's, that's a lot. And you won one of them. So you did get your your seven or more or your eight or more. Um, Honestly, game one might have been the worst thing. And then that's not, that's not the Flames brand of hockey. No, right? like no. it hasn't. And scoring nine in game one, I mean, you maybe could have got away with four last night instead of five. Take one off of there, maybe. <laughs> what do you think? What are you seeing offensively? It, it's it it just comes back to the top line. If you're going to get all the accolades and the, even if you don't want to compare it, because Ryan said, well, it's, it's hard to do. You're, you're going against McDavid and Dreisaitl and Kane. But at the same time, we spent a lot of this season talking about how the Flames' top line was the best in the league. Five on and five. It was. Yep. Right? Five on five. They were the best line in hockey. Now, to be fair, they didn't have Dry Saddle Kane and Dry Saddle together at all until they threw them together, what, late round one when Dry Saddle was hurt? So that line didn't have a chance to be that. Mm-hmm. They had Dry Saddle and McDavid centering separate lines for the last two years. But you would in the regular line... season, the Flames line scored 73 goals at even strength, five on five, and 31 against. Far and away the best. And I don't know how else you can measure dominance than. Well, when we were on the ice, we outscored the crap out of you, and you could hardly score on us. It was incredible the season they had. Yeah, a, McDon- a McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane line you would expect would be high scoring, but you know five on five, that's up for that's up for debate. As far as the Kachuk, Lindholm, and Gaudreau line, they were great in game one, at least offensively. Kachuk the hat trick, Lindholm goal and assist, Gaudreau three helpers. Since then. In three games, they've combined for, well, it's not a lot. <laughs> Two goals and whatever it is now. They, they, you need, when everything else is, you need, you need your top guys. And whether it's fair or not, that's the criticism that you get in this day and age when you're a star and you're highly paid. And, and I'm going to be a little nitpicky here. Like, as, as far as your, your investment in the series from your top line, I'd like to see this line hang on to the puck more. A lot of times there's pucks just hopers that are thrown to areas. And this team, this line is super effective when they continue to make other teams defend them. And when they decide to just get rid of pucks and try for the quick chances early, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been really a, real effective for them. It's more effective in the regular season because teams aren't focusing on their defense like they are now. And teams aren't as committed to defense during the regular season. I know it. you might argue that, but it, it's true. The attention to detail is there in the playoffs. And Matthew Kachuk, I'd like to see him hang on to the puck more. And there's other things that become investments over the course of a long series. I talked to you earlier, Boomer. There's a chance in the third period, Kane's getting the puck on the half wall, and Matthew Kachuk's coming across with speed. You have got to pace that guy. Like, you have to right through him. 
right? And it might be a small detail, but maybe the breakout doesn't happen, which moments later, the puck ends up down the ice and they score a goal. Maybe that deters that. Maybe your stick hits the puck as you're going to contact Kane. It's little things. It's, and I harp on Johnny Goudreau and I'm going to harp on him a little bit again. You have to be on the right side of the puck. And we talked, I talked about this with a pal last night. Often he's going in and you're not, okay, so maybe, maybe you're not the biggest guy in the world, but you got to get in there and you've got to have more grit. Like it just, something has to happen. And if it's not going to happen, then the result could potentially be the same. Like you can't go in, expect to lift guys' sticks and pick pockets from behind. And again, it might work in the regular season because, but in the, in the playoffs, it just, it's not a recipe for success. And there needs to be more investment by that top line in harder minutes in the offensive zone. And I don't think they've done a, a bad job around their, around their own end. I mean, they have transition pucks and got out fairly easily over the course of this series, but, but just when, it, when you're going to invest and over the course of what now it's going to have to be seven games, all those little things that cause you to be bumped, bruises, ice bags after games, mm-hmm. like it's a war. And I just don't see them in the trenches. Like, and, and that maybe that's not fair because they're your top players, but no, it is fair. Look at Tampa. Look at Stamkos going down the tunnel. Look at Kucherov. Look at what that group learned how to do to become champions. Their best, most skilled players will run through walls to prevent goals. This top line hasn't done that yet this series. And if you're not, if, if if it's not at your end, it's definitely got to start at the other end where you're. That's your, that's your mo. So if you're going to go down there, you got to do everything you can to put that puck in the net and to keep possession or possession and to wear teams down. And you know you just you start with them because they are the driving force. And there hasn't there hasn't been enough this series. And you kind of you kind of see where they are. And even just offensively, they really haven't had many stretches where you had the Oilers hemmed in. They haven't been cycling. Game one, you had it, but not a lot since. Yeah. And I thought they had the one shift last night. You're like, okay, there it is. They're, they're getting changes and was game, while maintaining pressure. Was game one not the most physical game by all of the Flames? Not even close. Yeah. It, you wondered how the Oilers were going to compete f- physically after game one. Because that's the way it's got to be, and it's got to be to a man, and I don't care who you are. It's that time of the year. If you want to get it done, go and do it. But it's, if you don't... Then do what you do what you did in the regular season because it doesn't cut it in the playoffs. It's also the last time they got a hard hit on McDavid. I think not easy to do, like easily. But when Lucic lays him out in front of his own bench, there, that's the heaviest hit he's taken in the series. That was the tone setter for the game because it's like, okay, your move, Edmonton. That's your star player. It was gray area ish. Come at me. Let's go. And it was a hot mess that game, but it was a little bit of pandemonium and chaos on both sides of the puck. But I think that still played into Calgary's favor, right? Because they should have an edge physically and they haven't been able to exert it in games two, three, or four. Haven't had the puck enough. I agree. Just didn't think we'd be sitting here looking at the the, the two teams where pretty much every aspect, the, the, the one thing that probably the Oilers would look at and say we can be better there, is the power play. They could probably look at and say, we, we could probably have a couple more on the power play given who we can trot out there. But everything else, five on five, penalty kill, 
Their goaltender has been good enough despite allowing early leads in games one and two and then a complete bleep burger last night. And their defense has been okay. And I don't know that life has been particularly difficult, like I said, either in terms of offensive pressure or physicality or intimidation. And you certainly thought that was going to be the recipe for the Flames before the series and certainly after game one but they haven't been able to follow that up. Fourth line guys have had a tough go and they're keep floating a Mozone starts. And that means you're not using your best offensive players in Ozone starts. Um, I'm, I also think seven and 11 helps that a bit because Daryl's just going to take guys out of the rotation if they're not getting results. Tough series for Lucic post game one. Lucic, Lewis and Dubé on with Stone and Shillington for the game winner. Late. I know when it's 11 and 7, you're mixing, you're matching, you're putting, you're getting guys out there. But that's not, not a, no, it's not the top line. It's not the McDavid well, line, I, but it's. And it's five minutes and two seconds of stone, right? But it also happens after Tanev has that collision with Hyman, which was incidental, but probably the most you're worried about how he's, his health was. Like he's in a lot of pain going to the bench. I wonder if the Hyman Tanev collision doesn't happen, if it's not Stone sitting and Tanev on the ice with Shillington there yeah. because it just wasn't a part of Daryl's rotation. He had five minutes the whole game. He would have been sitting at close to four if Tanev doesn't have that incidental bump, I'd think. I know, but and they ran Tanev every chance they got last night. As you should. As soon as the puck, soon as the puck was on his stick, he had a guy going right through him. And, of course, like, why wouldn't you? That, that's part of the game. Yeah. So they, they made it tough for him last night, and we saw how many times he was wincing after contact. But on that goal doesn't matter if Tanev's out there or not it's the other missed assignments and I mean it's it's nitpicky Lucic too low in the zone both wingers him and Dubé can't find the D-man in the slot because everyone's watching the puck as it goes behind the net Shillington's watching the puck go behind the net he has no idea where Nugent Hopkins is and doesn't box out doesn't get a stick doesn't get anything and I know it happens quick but those have to be your instincts like when you see a breakdown oh crap They've got some offensive control. Now, how am I going to defend this? Or what? A, where's the danger? And they miss the danger in the slot, and then they miss the danger right beside the net because of puck watching. And it's my, it's my gripe with the NHL and players in general. The old defensive defenseman that might have got the job done there or a, or a, a more defensively alert winger. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Tanev really makes a difference on that goal. He would have been in the corner where Stone was, and Stone had nothing to do with any of that. Like maybe maybe you get a piece of a puck. Or but they were in okay coverage. They had three guys low on three other men until Lucic is too low. Dubé can't find his man, whether it's Lucic or Dubé's man, and then, again, too easy a rebound. Like that can't happen when it's 3-3. Like so that guy should be – like it's Nugent Hopkins. It drives me nuts because the guy did nothing last night and ends up with two goals. And there he is. And it's like, hey, Nuge. And it's like, all anyone talked about in the post game. He was sleeping through the whole game. Where was he the rest of the game? What did he do? Drives me nuts. Can we talk about a little bit of bad breaks? Or do we got we got to go somewhere? Get bad breaks. I'll, I'll write, we'll write it, down. it down. Put a pin in that. I'm, I'm talking like last night. No, hang on. We'll, we'll talk because okay. we'll we'll break here. I like that you're on fire, though. I we like got Regeer like champing at the up. bit, texting us. He's ready to roll. Yeah. All right. He's going to be singing from the same hymn book, I think. 
What's Reg doing? Digging holes and filling them up again? He's very busy. He's got to keep busy. Yeah, that's right. What if that hole doesn't get dug? Who's going to fill it up? Robin Regeer, when we come back, Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're locked on Boomer in the morning. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Guests of the show, join us on the hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 13-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For every dollar you spend, earn points towards free pizza with their rewards program. It's Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 6060 Memorial. Drive Northeast, Boomer, Pender, and there's Corey Sarich. Flames last night on the wrong end of a 5-3 decision. They are now down 3-1 in their second round series. Must win situation coming up tomorrow at the Dome. Corey Sarich has been... In here, lamenting the lo- the lack of defensive play. Remember back in the day, just grab a hold of guys and hang on. Curious about our next guest. I would say very much in the defense first category. Loved a good low scoring tilt. Robin Regeer, Reg, do, how are you doing watching these nine six five three uh, five three games? Oh, I'm not good either. I think uh, maybe Corey and I are in the same situation, but uh, I would say the first three three games, um, Calgary played right into the hands of uh, of the Oilers. You know, river river hockey, and and not just that, like just undisciplined play from uh, both both penalty wise. But what really surprised me, guys, was uh, their undisciplined play with the puck, like lots of turnovers. Um, just bad passes here or there, and and you know Edmonton was loving it. They can just come uh, come forward, transition, and, and attack on on offense. So um, yeah, the first three were were pretty ugly. Um, I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel, though. You saw uh, just a little bit better sustained Calgary Flames type hockey for for portions of last game, um, and I really hope that uh, they can uh, build on that. But they're going to have to be pretty close to perfect now how do you think daryl's handling that because as as you said there was a real identity to the flames hockey to the flames game in the regular season to keep it tight nothing in the middle of the ice get the puck out low event if possible and it's been completely opposite now he's not lost his mind in a post-game press conference but i gotta think he must be just pulling his hair out right now yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's probably like uh, kind of like a duck on a pond in that uh, you see what's uh, going on above water and it looks fairly calm and uh, collected uh, behind the bench. But uh, I think behind those closed doors, uh, it's it's the underwater part where uh, things are moving and uh, stuff's happening. And I, I think that's the same with Daryl. He he knows that uh, this team can't uh can't play this way and can't can't play the oilers type of game and and we saw that in uh in the first uh first three four games here but uh I, i'm just i'm curious why you, know, you look back on the on the uh first series uh people kind of talked about it they knew it was going to be a, a real grinding low scoring type of series and and that's what it was you know both teams played a similar way with dallas and calgary and then you know, I was excited about this series because it was going to be a kind of a, a contrasting series of of high uh, octane offense with Edmonton and and kind of that that forechecking, grinding, uh, physical type hockey with uh, Calgary and and they just came out and started trying to play river hockey. So I don't know what uh, what the disconnect is there with the 
with the players on why they wanted to try to do this with a Edmonton team that uh, we're seeing just has way too much skill when you try to play to, to their, their type of game. And even go back to the regular season, that last meeting, it was 9-5. Even in the midst of the regular season where they were, where they were playing well and playing their, their defensive styles. There's just something about this Oilers team. Are they, are they uh, living rent-free in, this, in these young guys' heads? I, I think the the Flames uh, players must just think it's eighties night uh, whenever they play uh, whenever they play Edmonton and uh, you know get into that mode or something. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, they, they just they just can't. As we're seeing with the results, they they can't afford to to do that, and they need to they need to get back to it. But like I said, you know, hockey's um, sometimes it takes a little bit to pull out of something, uh, out of a little bit of a nosedive, and it and takes. Uh, a game or two, or uh, it doesn't just usually happen within a shift. And, and uh, I, I saw a little bit of that last, last night. So I'm hoping they can, uh, they can really build on that. Cause uh, if not, uh, they're going to be golfing. Golfing. Huh? Sarge. Yeah. We'll get to the, we the, the season. Sarge said he's good to go for, for game five. Where, where, where are you? How Where's are, your gear? How are the knees? How are you feeling? I, not a chance. No, no way, man. I got, Come on. I mean, Corey's, uh, Corey's probably in way, uh, way better shape than, than I am. But every, every time I, uh, I see the speed of, uh, of the game that those guys play, and uh, now I'm like, thank goodness uh, my ankles didn't, uh, didn't break when uh, McDavid went around me or, you know, pulled some of his stuff. Like, that. just I, – I, guys, I could only turn one way by the end of my career. My knees hurt so bad. <laughs> they're, they're lying in here, Robin. I'm 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 way further removed than you are. You're you actually still keep yourself in great shape, I'm sure. Uh, well, I got I got to play tennis with uh, Marty Jonah and a uh, few few people like that every now and again just to uh, to stay on it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the speed of the, the game uh, now, and I, and I think um, that's kind of um, it's twofold because I you know I'm I'm watching a lot of minor hockey now with kids playing and. I'm uh, I'm helping uh, doing a little bit of coaching and things like that. So the speed is uh, is not uh, not great there. And then you and then you come watch the an NHL game with the Flames and then the way the the NHL and the style is played now compared to what it used to be. And you're like, wow, the game uh, the game is quite a bit faster than what I remember. Did tell us where in your career three one holes? Do you have anecdotes? It's not common to come out of them, but we just saw the Rangers do it last round. Have you been in a spot where you can relate to what the Flames are feeling, one loss away from their season ending and needing three to continue? Yeah, actually, in uh, 2014, when I was part of the LA Kings, we we actually went down three uh, nothing to uh, San Jose. That was and, that year, uh, okay. Yeah, and I alluded to. I alluded to a little bit there where, um, you know, the first two games were, we weren't even close. We were in San Jose and we got blown out. Um, and, and Daryl just kept harping on us for attitude. We needed to change our attitude. And what happened was um, we actually didn't play that well in the last part of the regular season. I think we lost, I believe it was five out of the last seven games of the regular season because we couldn't, we couldn't move uh, in the placing anyhow. So we did, just kind of didn't have a great attitude motivation. And that, that crept into our game. And uh, we got smoked those games one and two in San Jose. We played better in, in game three uh, in LA, but we still lost. But we played just a much, much better game. And that's kind of what I was uh, saying before is that, I, you know, I see bits and pieces of, of the Flames 
uh, game and, and how they have to play. Um, and, and then for us back in 2014, we won uh, game four and then continued to build and won game five and actually ended up being, I think we were the fourth team ever to uh, come back from, from three, nothing. So that's kind of how you had to deal with it. It's, it's attitude. It's, it's just doing those things that you have to uh, over and over again. And, um, you know, I think the flames have been too inconsistent with that, but uh, you can't think, um, Hey, we have to be perfect now. You just have to say, what, what's our game? Uh, how can we best play it? And uh, let's, let's go out there and, and execute. We were actually talking about that team, that San Jose team. They were very much in the throes of what, what is it going to take for us to take the next step? That Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe will never win a cup. That narrative was, it was year after year after year. And that was a huge blow. I remember that one. So maybe they're going to finally silence the critics. Nope. It's still the same old San Jose Sharks. Oh, was I rooting for the LA Kings that year, Robin? (laughs) Yeah. uh, San Jose was, uh, was a hated rival for, for us there in LA, but also back to the, the West and playing in Calgary and, and having to play against those guys all the time. Um, I, I agree hundred percent with you that they, they were um, kind of that team that uh, everyone kind of picked at the start of the year to, uh, to do something and, and never really did, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, kind of like that team out East there, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I guess. How do you, where, well, they haven't got through the first round. San Jose didn't have a problem doing that. They were in the yeah. second, third, yeah, second, yeah. third, second, third, second, third, fourth. Yeah. Like it, it's it's crazy how many games they played without a cup in the postseason for like a decade and a half. Yeah, yeah, for sure it was. So, yeah, no, it, it's uh, it, it might sound fairly fairly simplistic what what I said, but I, I think Corey would kind of uh, allude to that too. Like the the uh, ebbs and flows of of. Uh, of the team like usually when you're on a when you're on a winning streak and a heater like you you might win the last two or three games of a nine or eight ten game winning streak that you probably shouldn't have have won there's bad habits that kind of creep in and but you still win that and then it starts to come down and and the other it goes the other way too where when when you're losing um it takes a little bit of time usually to just kind of pull back on the, on the reins there and, and get, uh, get things going in, in the right direction. And I, I sure hope that last night was, uh, was that for, uh, for the Flames and they can get it going here. Yeah, and I agree, Robin. Like, I think, too, in, within the locker room, it, it, res- it resonates different, differently through different players. And so to kind of get everyone back on the same page again, sometimes it takes more than just one loss. Sometimes... You know, you got some guys that are like, okay, we've got to refocus. It was a bad loss. But sometimes it takes two or three for everyone to snap out of it. And obviously, as you know and I know, that you can't just go out there and win with one line. You can't win with one D pairing. I mean, maybe the Edmonton Oilers are, are, are proving that slightly different. But I always just found within the locker room, it takes you have to have everybody on the same page. And sometimes that in itself takes a little bit of a longer period to regroup. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Like um, for for the Flames, you know, they they did have some some success with uh, with that top line, and then they put up great numbers in in the regular season. But um, you know, with, with the playoffs uh, in general, it, it's more what what can you know other parts of the team bring as well. And um, and I just uh, back to what I said before. Like I just have never seen them play so undisciplined with the puck in the first three games like they 
they were just throwing pucks away and missing, you know, simple, easy passes and things like that. Like just stuff that when, when they're, they're on and they're playing that, that just doesn't happen. They, they come out of their zone really quickly. Everyone comes back. They know what position they need to be in. They move the puck out of their zone very quickly. And, uh, and then the next part of that is putting the puck in. If, if there's no room to carry it in, uh, putting it in. And, and the tricky part about Edmonton is, you got Mike Smith back there who can play the puck really well, uh, potentially. So, you know, you do have to put pucks in uh, with a purpose of getting him back, not just for him to play him, uh, but then just starting to pressure. And, you know, you have to look at the weakness of the Oilers, and that's and that's their back end, uh, both their defense and their goaltending, and making them play in their zone. And, and Calgary just needs to get back to, uh, to, to putting them there and keeping them there and under sustained pressure, and, and they'll be fine after that. So Robin Regeer and Mike Commodore are the new tournament co-chairs of the Flames Alumni Masters Golf Tournament. Now, we had Commodore here in studio last week, and Commie kind of led us to believe between between you and he that you were the brains, kind of the smarts. He, he needed somebody to read an Excel spreadsheet and documents and do the math, that you were going to be the organized. That's right brains uh i guess a is he right about that and b if so what is his role then <laughs> well i i think that uh yeah mike's uh strong suit is not excel spreadsheets uh, i think we had to chat with him about uh having multiple tabs going on on, on the spreadsheets and where, where to look so uh you know that was uh that was fun um but uh you know he uh him and I are, are together as co-chairs, and, and we're enjoying it. He he brings the uh, the his, his great personality and uh, outgoing uh, personality, and yeah. and you yeah. know all the social aspect of it. And uh, you know, for me, I I would prefer to work in the, in the background and, and dealing with the details. But uh, yeah, two two very different mm-hmm. uh, skill sets brought brought to the organizing <laughs> committee for sure. Give give Mike the mic. Yes, you need a social butterfly, and you need someone to organize the party. There, there, you, yeah. you need more. There's more than one type out there. You need for a yeah. good party. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and he will get up there and speak uh, at the event later. But uh, you know, the good thing is though, uh, there's also a Flames game in behind our our tournament uh, tomorrow. So um, you know, we'll we'll be there to enjoy and and raise a bunch of money for um, CP Kids here in in Calgary. But uh, you know the exciting part is there's uh, there's a playoff game that that night, so I think it's going to be a great uh, great day for for Flames fans uh, that are out there to get to play some golf and then uh, watch watch a hockey game. Now CP Kids and Family, that's kids with physical disabilities, helping them to get into just kind of basic stuff like riding a bike, and and it's not just regular bikes; these are very specialty bikes. It's they're very expensive; they're hard to uh, hard to put together and to get made. And I know in talking with Rhett and with talking other with other guys within the alumni, they've been at one of the one of the occasions where one of these young boys or girls gets their new bike, and it's an extremely emotional kind of a thing. Have you have you been in that similar spot, and can you uh, share that experience? Yeah, you bet. So actually, both uh, Mike and myself were at the event uh, in the uh, middle of May. Um, and uh, it is, it's the CP Kids Adapt-A-Bike program that all these funds are going to go to. And, you know, for me, I, I really enjoy riding a bike. And uh, I've got mountain bikes, road bikes, you know, you name it. And I, and I love getting out there and, and going out there with family and 
getting out myself for, for a ride. Um, but it, but it's easy. It's easy for me to find a bike and, and get out there and do that. Um, for, for these kids, it's not, uh, as you mentioned, they have, uh, differing, um, kind of, uh, physical challenges and, and, and disabilities, but they, uh, they want to ride a bike and they're able to ride a bike, but it has to be a, a very specialized, uh, bike. And, and, uh, unfortunately, usually those are extremely expensive. So CP Kids has really done a good job with this adapt bike program. And, and it's a program that um, they, they say is, is actually growing every year. There's huge, huge demand for it. And, you know, when we were out at that program, we saw how happy these kids were when they can get on a, get on a bike and then start pedaling around. And to me, that just, uh, that, that said it all right there with a the, the big smile on their, on their face that way. So that's, uh, that's where the funds are going uh, again, uh, this year for, uh, for the golf tournament and, uh, the live auction and the, uh, silent auction that's online. Do we have a super famous old teammate back in town playing? We've heard some rumors. <laughs> I know, like, this is the one of any year where you'll get some guys, a lot of the alumni hang in Calgary, but some don't. I recall Gary Suter, like, three or four years ago, and he said it had been, like, over a decade since he'd been back in town. There could be some very exciting news. Yes, there could be some very exciting news coming that, uh, yeah, that uh, he's going to make an appearance. So. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. But uh, we're we're very excited. Yeah. yeah very shame. Very shame. Yeah. It's not now is, is now so the uh, the online auction. Anybody can take part in that. Obviously, is that how that works? That that's correct, Boomer. So um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however, however you want to look at it, the uh, the golf tournament is full. Uh, but uh, the online silent auction is available to to anyone. So the links, there's two links posted, uh, one on the um, Calgary Flames alumni website, and uh, the other one is on the uh, calgarycp.org uh, website. So those will both link to the uh, online auction that we have going on. And, and we have some great items, like, of course, um, you know, with all the sports memorabilia and, and signed uh, sweaters and sticks and things like that, there's... Uh, some flames tickets and for next season and, and some experiences. Um, there's also some really, really good food, uh, food experiences, uh, dinners for eight from vintage, for example, with wine and things like that. And then we got kind of a cool one from uh, Canada rail vacations uh, this year. They donated a trip from Banff to Vancouver on the uh, Rocky Mountaineer. So uh, as anyone that's wow. uh, watched uh, Dumb and Dumber knows that uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not so luxurious to see the Rockies uh, on, the, on a moped. So uh, doing it in a, in a really nice, uh, nice train, uh, you know, with good food and, and uh, nice hotel stops, that, that's the way to go. Yeah, John Denver's full of... <laughs> Man. Uh, so it only took it only took 22 years for somebody to take the reins from Dana Merzen from this thing. So uh, you know, good, good on you for finally doing something about it. Good for you. Yeah, you know what? Dana did a great job. He 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 really did, and he was still uh, quite involved as, as much as he could be. Um, he started a new job uh, here recently, so that that's been taking up uh, some time for him, which is very exciting. But. Uh, no, he, he helped uh, Mike and I quite a bit. And, you know, I, I think the important thing, and, and Corey can uh, probably talk about it too, is that, um, you know, the, this 1989 group, I'll, I'll call it, did uh, has done a lot of work in and around the, the community here in Calgary and, and southern Alberta for many, many years. And um, I think it's important that, uh, 
you know, I'll call it the, the 2004 group, uh, the younger younger group coming in as alumni, um, that we kind of take the reins from from them and and uh, start running with it a little bit and doing a little bit more more work. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking, and I'm proud to be uh, part of uh, the Flames alumni, which does a lot of work in and around Calgary. And uh, yeah, we're hoping for a great event, and uh, fingers crossed the the weather looks good because uh, that's always a variable that uh, we can't control. Well, good on you for doing that. There's man, there's some great items in here. Yeah. Oh, Robin Regeer, good with spreadsheets and organization and clients and build, building lists of uh, sponsorship items. And Mike Commodore and Mike sure loves golf. He can funnel beers, <laughs> uh, shots at the bar. Really He's en- got a very diverse skill set. Really enjoys golf. Hey, we all bring different yeah, skills to the party, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. boy. Well, we'll be out there. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Reg. There he is, Robin sure. Regeer. The uh, one of the co-chairs, he and Mike Commodore of the alumni golf tournament. Two things. Selling options deadly. Dana Merzen deserves a lot of credit because if he doesn't just forge ahead a lot of those years, this event doesn't happen. And you know what it's like with some events. Well, how? when did we last? Two years ago? Mm. Uh, do we need to bother? It's gone every year. So good on him. And, uh, and yeah, good on I mean, there's other alumni that clearly live in this town. Oh. Maybe would want to give back, but I guess not everybody wants to. Oh, he's to. not in the 04 group. It's the 04 group. Stuff. Oh, he's in the 04 group, just the other group. There, there's the 07, the 07 group. Yeah. There, I don't know if there's an alumni with an asterisk, but he might be in this room. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. I'm kind of waiting for a certain team to maybe just get out there and erase that memory. Mm. And then I'll maybe be able to be no, full part of the alumni. One of these days. 3-1 series deficit for the Flames. Mm. They'll look to make it a 3-2 series on home ice tomorrow. It'll be nervous Nelly time at the Dome. There's a dry settle jersey here, Dean. Are you interested? Uh, not Current bid, point. 190 It's a hell of a deal. Is it autographed? Try and double it up. Put it's it on Kijiji. Uh, navy blue. And uh, it's uh, look at the time. we got a break. We'll come back. And uh, bad breaks. Corey wants to talk about some bad breaks and your daily code word, which is not a word. Again? Coming up, Hour 3 next, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.